church. We must never forget the cross. To forget the cross is to forget the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love the symbol and the subject of the open tomb. Jesus resurrected. Death not contained in him. He lives. He abides with us. No longer hanging on the cross. I love the symbol of the open tomb. Well, the cross is vacant and the tomb is empty. But you're saying we should never forget the cross. Why? Why linger at the cross at all? Friends, even though the tomb is empty and our Savior lives, we never move away from the cross. We only move on to a more profound and a deeper understanding of and love for the cross of Jesus Christ. Tonight, I want us to set our attention on the cross and what it means to every single one of us. Tonight, I want us to remember the cross. Charles Spurgeon preached these words. He preached, Abide hard by the cross and search the mystery of his wounds. Everything about the cross declared the purposes of God. Everything about it. Everything about the cross declared that God the Father so loved the world that he gave Jesus. And he gave Jesus over to that cross. There was purpose in our Savior's sufferings. There was purpose in his agonized prayer in the garden. There was purpose in his cry of forsakenness on the cross. To not remember the cross is to not remember the purposes of God. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. In this church, we have always been committed to making all we do about one thing. And what's that? About Jesus. We make everything we do about Jesus. We make the gospel of Christ central in everything we do. Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, brought first to the Jew and then to the Gentile or the Greek. We should never assume that there's already good enough understanding of the cross. Good enough affection of the cross. Good enough revelation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The Word tells us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. With friends, that grace was paid for. Not by us. Not by our works. 
not by our crazy framing skills or delicious cookie-baking talents, not by anything. But that grace was paid for. That grace was paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. That grace was paid for by the most intense suffering that a human has ever experienced on this planet. Ever. When he suffered, when Jesus Christ suffered, it was Jesus the man. Yes, I, he was fully man and he was fully God. And sometimes we blur the lines. But friends, when he suffered, he suffered fully as a man. And no man has ever suffered like Jesus Christ suffered. The cross is not the place where Jesus merely hung for a few hours to pay the price for our sins. crosses the place that Jesus entered into when he went to the garden of Gethsemane to pray. That was the place of the cross. The place where he knew his time had come. And anguish came over him. See, we see Jesus and we see him in his strength and we see his, him in his boldness and his power. And in the garden, at that place of the cross, we see him in complete vulnerability and we see him in weakness and we see him in uncertainty. It's the most unique place that we see Jesus because we're used to strong Jesus. And this is Jesus who is now starting to bear the weight of the world. The weight of sin. See, he knows the word of God. He knows there's a cup of suffering that he's going to have to drink. And he knows that cup of suffering is total abandonment from God. And he see, he's never known a second of abandonment from God in his whole life. Since everything he did, he did it at what the Father told him to do and showed him to do. And he knows that voice that he's heard his entire life is about to be silent. And he did it for us. That's the place of the cross. Have you ever felt abandoned? Jesus has. And he did it. So that you and I would not be abandoned, but adopted. in the garden, at that place of the cross, it was so intense that he was sweating blood. This was a place of crying out. He would wake up and find his most trusted disciples sleeping. Wake up! Don't you understand what I'm going through? Once again, the vulnerability. Don't you understand? Of course they didn't. The garden is the place of the cross. In this place, Jesus cried out, Daddy, you can do anything. All things are possible with you. So remove this suffering from you, from me. Jesus cried that, friends. Daddy, you can do anything. So remove this suffering from me. The cross is the place 
where after this most vulnerable and heavy cry, Jesus responded with the most loving and faithful of responses. And we see it in Mark 14, 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Not what I desire, but what you desire. Friends, the cross is a place of complete obedience to the Father. And that obedience brought with it the price of utter abandonment, utter loneliness, and complete and utter anguish. The cross is the most singular place of the most unprecedented, never-to-be-seen-again, greatest gathering of evil and sin and darkness and perversion and emptiness and loneliness and hurt that's ever been seen and that has never been seen since. And it converged on one man, the man Jesus Christ. What would you call a judge that completely ignored and forgave the crimes of every person that walked into that judge's courtroom? No guilty verdict. No punishment. No matter what you did and how often you did it, that judge would simply slam down the gavel and say, not guilty. Friends, we would not call that judge anything good. We would call that judge unwise. We would call that judge unkind. And we would call that judge unjust. Crimes carry with them a price. And the Bible makes it very clear what that price is. It's death. Romans 6, the first part of 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And God is a just God. And He is holy. And He can't ignore sin. He just can't simply ignore sin. He is holy. And we think about the fact that His desire is is a reunion with his, his kids. A reuniting with you and I. But you and I are so full of sin. And that combination of our sin and His holiness just doesn't mesh. It doesn't connect. It doesn't work. As I said before, the cross was the place of the greatest gathering of sin and evil ever, ever. And right there on top of that greatest gathering of sin, right there mixed in with Adolf Hitler's sin, with Charles Manson's sin, is my sin? Is Haven's sin? Is Darlene's sin? With the evilest of them all, 
is our sin. It wasn't just for Adolf Hitler that Jesus died. It wasn't just for the worst of the worst that Jesus died. There's a price for our sin as well. And it demands payment. And Jesus endured this for me and for you and even for you, for every one of us. And because of that sin and perversion and wickedness and evil, the cross is a place of judgment. And the verdict of this judgment is guilty. Guilty! Guilty of every bit of sin. Guilty of every bit of perversion and darkness and wickedness. Guilty. For Jesus Christ, the cross was a place of judgment and the verdict was guilty. And he bore all of this for you and I. Remember the cross. He bore all of this for you and I. And friends, let's not let there be any mistake. We were guilty. At the story of the cross, there's many people to relate to at that story. We might relate to Peter, who denied Jesus, and denied, and denied, and ran, and hid. We might relate to the ladies, Mary Magdalene, who followed but at a distance. We might relate to the Roman soldier who was part of the crucifixion. And at the end of it, had revelation and said, truly, this man was the Son of God. We might relate to Mary, the mother of Jesus, or John, who were clearly close enough that at the very end, Jesus cried out and, and they heard his words. So they were they were close. But I'll tell you who we should all relate with. The crowd. The crowd who cried, crucify. Crucify him. Twas I that shed that sacred blood. I nailed him to the tree. I crucified the Christ of God. I joined the mockery. If only there was someone to serve as an arbitrator between me, a sinful man, and a holy God. Such a mediator could indeed touch us both, lay his hand upon us both, then somehow I could escape the terror of God's judgment. These were the words of Job in Job chapter 9. Job felt the unpassable chasm between humanity and God. Yet Job could envision what? A mediator. A mediator to bridge that gap. Job 9, 27 through 35. This is Job speaking. He says, if I say, 
I will forget my complaint. I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer. I become afraid of all my suffering. For I know you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned. Why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit and my own clothes will abhor me. For he is not a man as I am a man that I might answer him that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me and let not dread on him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him for I am not so in myself. Friends, Job cried out for an arbiter, for a mediator. He cried out for it. But guess what? We received it. We received it. We were given a mediator. And that mediator was Jesus Christ, who affectionately laid his hand both on the Father and humanity, just as Job prophetically cried out for hand on the Father, he received the fullness of the fury of God. The righteous fury. The righteous anger against sin, against evil, against wickedness. And he reached down to us. And he took our sin and our shame and our heaviness and, and everything within us that would keep us from the presence of God. And within himself, he allowed his blood to be shed to pay the price, to be the ultimate sacrifice. He bought that grace. Are you familiar with the process of mediation? It's a pretty simple process. There's two parties in conflict, each feeling wronged by the other. So they seek resolution through a neutral third party called a mediator. And that neutral mediator oversees the process of negotiating between the two, hoping for a resolution that satisfies the offenses to both parties. But friends, in the conflict between us and God, only one party has been wronged. It's not equal wrongs. It's not equal offenses. In, in, in that conflict with man and God, only one party has been wronged, and that was God. Only one has been offended. In this conflict, only God has been profoundly wronged by the other party. He himself is fully innocent and entirely without fault or blame. Yet despite his innocence, despite the fact that he is completely free of wrongdoing, he's the one reaching out to us. He's the one seeking mediation. He's the one saying, what can I pay to bring peace and to bring restoration? What can I pay? What can I give to bring to right this wrong? I know. I will give my son, my only son, my sinless son, 
Friends, we should never hear John 3.16 again without thinking of the cross. He gave His Son to be a mediator for our sin when we were the ones that wronged God with our sin, with our rebellion. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. So why would we ever do anything else but cling to the cross of our salvation? Why would I ever do anything else but remember the cross? Friends, let's never forget the cross. I only read that first part of Romans 6.23 earlier. Let me Let me read that verse in its completion. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I said before, the cross is a place of judgment. And for Jesus, the verdict of that judgment was this. It was guilty. But for you and I who will believe in Jesus Christ. But for you and I who will place our trust in Jesus Christ. The cross is a place of being found innocent. It's not a place of judgment. It's a place of freedom. From the bondage of sin that removed each one of us. From God's presence but no longer is in that way. For us, the cross is a place of healing, of any sickness, of any heaviness, of any weariness, of any hurt. Paid for with the stripes, the wounds of Jesus Christ. Paid for, paid in full. Paid in full. So that we could be whole. The cross is a place of salvation. If, if, If we believe. Job, when he was talking about a mediator, he said, if only there were a mediator, friends, all we got to do is believe in the work of the mediator. Receive the completed work of the mediator. If we will believe and receive. If we will believe and receive. Jesus Christ, then the cross is a place of restoration, of reconciliation, and a place of peace that our mediator, Jesus Christ, paid for. Remember the cross. Remember the cross. It represents life, but we remember the death. If any person in this room jumped in front of a bullet for someone else or pushed someone out of the way of a speeding vehicle and died for one of us, you couldn't talk that person into ever forgetting that what that person did for you. Ever forgetting the death that that person paid so that you could live. Ever! 
You could never talk them out of it. I will always remember what that person did for me. Let's be no different in our stance on remembering the cross of Christ. Remember the cross. So Peter, when he was, Peter was also crucified at the end of his life and he was crucified upside down. And we were talking, Brandon and I were talking about this before the service. His words, as he was being crucified, as he was dying, he was crying out to his sin, uh, to his kids. And he, he called out these words, Remember the cross! Remember the cross! And so we do. We remember the cross.